1: welcome to out of the comfort zone today we're going to talk again about questions now i happen to believe that questions are one of the most important tools that exist in your leadership toolkit questions help you coach in fact you can't do it without coaching you can't delegate without having good questions you can't learn you can't innovate you can't engage you can't motivate and you certainly can't manage uncertainty or chaos or complexity without questions in fact i'm not sure there's anything you can do in leadership except perhaps get through a crisis without some really good questions. And even there, I'm going to have a doubt about what I just said. So the question, though, is what are the great questions? Most of us ask questions that are fairly limited, as in what do you think? Um, What haven't you done? And they're just not good enough to get you where you want to go. So I want you to be thinking for the next Hour, what kind of questions you should be asking? How do you ask better questions? And how do you get a stock of sort of standard format of questions that you're going to repurpose over and over again? In fact, this topic is so important to people that I've had listeners write in and ask for another episode on this topic. So back by popular demand, that's our focus for today. Now, with me today is Bob Teedy. Bob is one of my favorite writers on questions. He owns and operates um, leadingwithquestions.com his blog will give you a constant supply of new ways of thinking about questions and I read it regularly. He's also on the staff of Crew and has been for 52 years currently serving on the US development leadership development team. Bob is a passionate about helping leaders shift their paradigm from the pressure of having to have all the answers to simply having to have a few of the right questions. And that falls solidly in my belief about, from my book, You Can't Know It All. Maybe I should say, you should ask about it all. (laughs) All right. And I've already said Bob's blog is really fantastic about helping you answer more strategic questions. Now, I have to give you a little bit of a backstory. So, Bob, welcome to the show.
2: Wanda, I'm delighted to be with you.
1: Pleasure to have you. So now on my preferred reading list for everybody I've worked with for ages is this lovely book, Leading with Questions, Michael Marquardt is the author. Love it. Have cited it many, many times. And I think everybody should notice that your current book, Leading with Questions, is co-authored with Michael Marquardt. Plus you have more books than I know how to count on leading with <laughs> questions. I put the two of them together. What could be better? So excellent. Well done. Well, thank you. So Bob, tell me you there's a little bit of a backstory about how you and Michael joined up to co-author this book. You want to give us a story?
2: Well, i'd be I'd be delighted. Wanda, I found my copy, the original <laughs> uh, you know, first version in 2006. My wife loves to go to bookstores. Now, when we go to a bookstore, she goes all over the bookstore. She knows when she's done, she'll find me still in the leadership section. (laughs) And, And my habit is to find two, three books I've never seen before, peruse them, decide if any of them are going home with me. Well, in 2006, I found this book. Perused only a few pages and said, this one's going home. Now, now, Wanda, I love books. I eat books for breakfast. And, you know, in every book, there, there's a morsel or two that you take right. away. But when I purchased this book, I had no idea that it would actually change my leadership forever. Okay. Uh, you can see from all the notes. Plenty not only, of yellow Not only was it a page toner, I devoured it. <laughs> and, uh, You know, I share when I speak, I start with a confession. My confession is that for most of my career, I was a benevolent dictator. My only paradigm of leadership was that a leader needs to tell staff what to do. A leader needs to give direction. I did say benevolent, I used please and thank you. But again, the only paradigm I had was leaders need to direct staff. And then I read this book. And as you know, because you've devoured it too, it was filled with stories of leaders literally from around the globe not just the united states not just the english speaking world but around the globe who were leading with questions and the questions they were using and as i read it i only had one question why hasn't anyone ever shared this paradigm with me before well fast forward i began i was on the leadership team i began to teach out of this book i put eight sessions together But fast forward, uh, I found the book in 2006. In 2012, one of my colleagues encouraged me to start a blog. And uh, that's a whole other story. But when I decided, I thought, well, I don't want to do just another leadership blog. There wouldn't be anything wrong with that. But there are so many good ones. And then this question came to me, is there a niche of leadership I could blog on? And as soon as I had that, it was, well, it would be something to do with this, leading with questions. Now I went to WordPress, you know, I'm learning how to blog. The first thing they ask is, what do you want the blog to be called? And then they would do a search to see if that URL was available. Well, I typed in leading with questions smiled as i did thinking surely the author dr michael McQuart, who i didn't know or the publisher wiley would have tied up the name even if they weren't using it but no they'd not tied it up it was available at you know introductory price 29 a year or whatever it was and i grabbed it i didn't steal it i actually grabbed it <coughs> and i started blogging but in the back of my mind i had just kind of like i wondered this guy, Dr. Michael Marquardt, I wonder how he'll feel if he discovers there's a blog by the same name as his book. So I waited about three, four months. I wanted to get some content. And then I sent off a very careful email to Dr. Marquardt sharing how his book had changed my leadership forever. How I'd started this blog, loved the book. Could I have permission to excerpt from his book we'd make the book cover the featured image we'd have a link to amazon or wherever he'd like for purchase i hit send i wondered how will he react
1: yeah
2: wonder within 24 hours i had the most gracious email saying bob you've made my day i love this yes you have permission to excerpt for my book well fast forward uh maybe well it was a A couple years later, he was doing the second edition. This is the second. And uh, he emailed me and said, Bob, would you be willing to do an endorsement? And could I list leadingwithquestions.com as a recommended resource? It was like, well, of course. (laughs) And then uh, maybe six months later, we were taking a group to Washington, DC. He taught at George Washington University and uh, called him ahead of time, asked if he'd be in town. Could he come speak? to our group and, and I shared I'd buy books for everyone. In fact, could he come early and <laughs> autograph the books? Now, Wanda, I did that as a selfish request because I wanted to spend an hour with him opening mm-hmm. the books so he could sign them. And he graciously came and we became friends. And you know, I said, Dr. McQuart, and he quickly said, Bob, it's Mike. Just call me Mike. And so it's been Bob and Mike ever since. Mm-hmm. And uh Numerous things we've done together. But then about a year and a half ago, he calls and says, Bob, it's time for a new edition. Would you be willing to be the co-author? Mike, (laughs) co-author? you got to be kidding. (laughs) Of course I'd be willing. And so he said, well, Bob, in the interest of of full disclosure, a new book requires about 20, 25% new content. He said, all that new content is actually on the over 1,000 blog posts you've done. (laughs) (laughs) And so that's why collaboration would be so good. It'd be a win-win for both of us. And so last summer, we spent six weeks where chapter by chapter, I would feed him possible content from blogs, and he would select, and he's very smart. He knew what to delete. He knew where to add. And uh, the end result is April 25th third edition's released, and and I'm privileged to be the co-author. Awesome.
1: That's awesome. It is a lovely book. I love the first one. I've liked your other books. This one is like a gold star here. I want to come back to something you said at the very beginning, this notion of benevolent dictator. Most of us would say as leaders, no, I'm not a dictator. But, and I know your intention is not to be a dictator. And I know your intention is to be caring and supportive and empathic and emotionally intelligent and all of that. But most of us as leaders believe, number one, we're supposed to have the answer for strategic direction. That as a leader, we're supposed to be making the decisions. As a leader, we're supposed to know what to do, where to go, how to do it for the most part. That's our mindset of what it is it means to lead. And what happens when you think that's your mindset is you end up telling people in the kindest possible way what it is you think should be done, how it is that it should be done, and so on. And you're right. It ends up feeling more dictatorial than any of us ever tended. And we've just papered on top of that emotional <laughs> intelligence, but it's still got the same telling as opposed to asking. So – um You've already said why you think this topic is so important, because it transformed your life. So in your words, what makes questions great? And what makes them not so great?
2: Well, Wanda, when, when I talk about questions, I, I talk that there are good questions, there are better questions, and then there are platinum questions, really great questions. Now, in the category of good, for example, if I say, hey, Wanda, how's business going? If I ask that question, I usually get a one-word answer. Good, okay, not so good, bad, but I don't get very much information. Mm-hmm. And I could call that a good question. How's business? I got an answer. But a better question is a question that can't be answered with one word. Now, the Wanda, even though I deal with questions all the time, I still many times don't ask great questions. I was just thinking with my son, he's got a business. And I'd many times say, Bill, how's business? And I'd get that one word answer. And then somewhere I read a better question. And the better question was, hey, how's business going this year or right now in comparison to a year ago? And so next time I was with my son, I said, Bill, how would you say business is going now in comparison to a year ago? And Wanda, I got a five minute answer. Yeah. <laughs> Which equals what I call the better question. Right. Uh, similar to that, a uh, mom shared with me that every day her daughter came home from school and she'd say, honey, how was school today? Mm-hmm. Again, she got a one word answer. Good, okay, boring, one word, end of conversation. Well, you know, insanity is repeating the same thing over and over, expecting (laughs) different results. Well, this mom said one day it occurred to her, I ought to come up with a better question. (laughs) And so her daughter comes home, and instead of saying, how was school, she said, honey, tell me about your day today. And she said, at first, I didn't know if she'd actually heard me because she didn't respond. Mm -hmm. But she said, after, you know, maybe 15, 20 seconds, she started talking. And she talked for over five minutes telling me about her day. Well, I also categorize good and better questions as the beneficiary primarily is me, meaning the one who asks the question benefits by hearing the answer. And please know that that is a great part of questions. I don't know something. I say, Wanda, you know, what about this? And Wanda tells me but the platinum question is a question where we're actually helping the person being asked it it, uh, it it's like an intricate antique key that opens an intricate lockbox it actually opens something within them that was already there but that they had never put together before and um uh, you know, an example of that, it's become one of my favorite questions. I got it from Cheryl Batchelder, who many year, for many years was the CEO of Popeye's Chicken. And one of her questions is, how well do you know your staff? Do you know the three or four events that have most shaped their lives? And so, Wanda, every time I, I come across a great question, I can hardly wait to find somebody to ask. <laughs> and uh, when I read that question, The first opportunity I had was one of my CREW colleagues, who's the Associate Leadership Development Director for CREW in Canada. I've known Neil since 2007. Uh, I thought I knew Neil's whole story, but uh, we got on, you know, read the question, 30 minutes later, we're on a coaching call on Zoom, seeing each other. And I said, Neil, I've just read a great question. I'd love to ask. He said, Bob, you know, I love great questions. What's the question? I said, Neil, what would you say are the three to four events that have most shaped your life? Now, Wanda, I didn't think I'd learn anything new because I thought I knew his whole story. I just thought of all the things I know about Neil, what will he say are the top three or four? What turned out, I was wrong. Uh Neil said, Bob, have I ever shared with you that my birth father died when I was nine months old? I said, no. He said, well, my mother later remarried and the man who's really my stepfather is the man who in my heart is my dad because he's the only dad I've ever known. But he said, it's been shared with me so many times that in the final weeks of my birth father's life, he knew he was dying. He was in a big bed at home and every day he would ask to hold me. And as he would hold me, he would pray over me and ask that God, the heavenly father would be a father to this little boy that he knew he would not lived to raise. Neil began to have tears. His tears caused me to have tears. and then Wanda that whole little conversation, I don't know, three, four minutes, not long. Yeah. and a relationship that was already good suddenly went deeper, right and uh, and you know Neil went on to share several other things and and I remember him saying, you know, Bob, wow, what a great question. No one's ever asked. I've never thought through this before of what were the events that shaped my life. And uh, so there's an example of what I call a platinum question. That helps the one that you ask.
1: Okay, Uh, and this is where in the moment I would never come up with that question. and I think I'm pretty good stock of questions that I ask people to get to know each other in the beginning or to deepen a relationship. And it's amazing what you don't know about people that you work with day in and day out. And I do this with top teams coming and going, but never would have considered that question. And what a powerful one. What are the three or four events that have most shaped your life? Just name one. And it's whatever comes up. It doesn't matter. It's whatever's on their mind at that moment. Yes. It's interesting for them to reflect on and also insightful for you as well. Great question. So platinum questions benefit me as the asker, but more importantly, they benefit you as the answerer. Okay. Yes. Yes. All right. I am guilty of the how is something (laughs) or the what do you think something, both of which are terrible questions because I never get great answers. So I'm with you that a better question is going to get a better conversation in effect.
2: Now, Wanda, that's that's interesting and, and I don't know that we want to debate this, but but my four favorite questions yeah. are actually, what do you think? Okay. And of course it's about something. They're they're the topic. But then what I've discovered, Wanda, is that even in the past when I did ask, hey, what do you think about what I didn't understand is that when people answer, they instinctively, again, instinctively, it's not like they think this through, but instinctively, they roll out a safe answer to see how you will treat it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So, Wanda, if I asked you, hey, what do you think about something, and, and you give me an answer, and I said, well, Wanda, that's stupid. Everyone knows that. Well, you're right. sorry you answered. Right, that's <laughs> it. Time I'll get nothing. But what I've discovered is if I say, wow, Wanda, that's good. What else? That you will then, or whoever I'm asking, relaxes a bit and thinks, wow, Bob appreciates what I'm sharing, and the what else takes them deeper. Mm -hmm. And then instead of moving on, again, they'll pause at some point. Instead of moving on, I'll grab a pen and say, Wanda, wow, I've got to take notes on this. Please continue. What else? And what I've discovered is, it's actually when we ask the third and fourth question that we get to their gold nugget, what I call, you know, their very best thought. And when I begin to think this is a gold nugget, I was reminded, it's, it's probably just a story, but the story is told of this gold miner who mines for gold all his life looking for the gold vein. He finally quits. Someone comes along later and discovered the man was within six inches of the gold vein when he quit. Well, I say, if you only ask what what do you think and then move on, you got within six inches, but you didn't get to their gold nugget. Okay. It, it's digging that what else. And for me, I think what makes it a great question, this series of questions, is that you're communicating to them that you value what they're saying. Mm -hmm. And um, I love a quote from Henry David Thoreau, who said, the greatest compliment ever paid me was when one asked me what I thought and attended to my answer. Right. So um, that is actually a question I use, but I get your point also, Wanda. If we ask it and quickly move on, it's not a great question.
1: Yeah. Well, I typically ask this in a large group. So everybody's nervous about answering the question. So there's a group of 10, 15, 20 people there answering. I will pick on somebody. But I think what I'm not doing is sticking with that person a little deeper and a little deeper and a little deeper. Because when you do that and you get a great answer out of somebody, uh, like a nugget out of somebody, everybody else is then suddenly willing to pile on.
2: Yes, yes.
1: So, okay, cool. All right, that's one of your favorite questions. What's the second favorite question? You said there were four.
2: Well, here's my second most favorite question. And and Wanda, I use this question almost always when I'm asked a question. Okay. Now, Wanda, I don't know if this happens to you, but it certainly has happened to me that somebody will ask a question, I'll give an answer. And, you know, many people are so polite, they don't actually say, well, Bob, that that actually wasn't my question. They say, oh, thank you. And then they ask another question and you realize they've just restated the first question because you missed it. Yeah. And so what I try to do now is when I'm asked a question is to say, hey, please tell me more and I find that they always do and when they do now I have more time to actually understand what their question is I have more time to think how to respond sometimes to ask them another question to help them come up with a solution but uh, Wanda whenever I'm speaking I, I share this funny little story that illustrates the value of can you please tell me more Little Johnny, age seven, comes running into the house, yelling at his mom, 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 where did I come from? His mom has not been expecting this question, not at age seven. Collecting her thoughts just a bit, she invites Johnny into the living room where she shares all about the birds and the bees. Johnny's little eyes are wide as saucers as he takes in every word. And when she's done, she says, so now, Johnny, do you understand where you came from? And he shouts out, no, Joey said he came from California and asked me where I came from. Now, at that point, do you think Johnny's mom had wished when he came running into the house yelling, Mom, 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 where did I come from, that she'd said, Johnny, tell me more. He would have then said, Joey said he came from California and asked me where I came from. And she could have said, boy, you were born right here in Texas. Go tell that Joey you're from Texas. He'd have ran out with the answer, Joey, I'm from Texas. And Johnny's mom could have saved the birds and the beast story for when perhaps that might be the question in a few years? Well, we laugh at that silly little story, but how many times have we answered what we thought was the question only to have missed it? So that's why my second favorite question has become, can you please tell tell me more when I'm asked a question?
1: I can't tell you how many times I tell people to use the please tell me more, particularly when you're doing a presentation. And you get that confrontational question coming from somebody that you weren't quite expecting. You're not quite sure to handle. you a little bit nervous. I can't mess, can't blow the presentation now. And so I just say, please, can you please tell me more? Like what, what's, why is that of interest or whatever other version of that you want to ask? Sure. And it's amazing what you discover of what they really wanted to know, not what you were afraid of. And you buy yourself a couple minutes to calm down while you're listening. So, I'm with you. What a great question. All right, question number three, your favorite
2: questions. Well, these are a series of four, but they fit together. And and I got these from a consultant who shared that he makes a handsome six-figure income by only asking four questions. Okay. And I said, man, I'd love to have the questions. In fact, can I write them down? He said, I'd be disappointed if you didn't. Yeah. Now, he also explained, he said, Bob, I'm not a subject matter expert. They don't bring me in because I have expertise in a certain area. In fact, he said, I could consult with the head of an airline company on day one. The next day, a pharmaceutical company. Day three, a software company. said, I'd ask the same four questions. He said, here they, here they are. And I wrote them down. First question is, what's going well? Mm-hmm. Second, what's not? Mm-hmm. Third, are you stuck? Fourth, what needs to change? And he said, now, Bob, these are my questions for the whole day. So he said, first, don't miss that first question. Mm-hmm. He said, when I'm consulting with somebody I've never met before, if I started with question two, I would not get an honest answer. He said, right. no one at 8 a.m. wants to confess, yeah, we're a bunch of losers here. <laughs> yeah, right. So he said, I, I start with what's going well, and, and, and now he has a whole bunch more of what else is, and how'd you figure that out, and, and uh, tell me more about that. But he said, by the time I'm done with question one, they're thinking that I'm thinking they're one of the most brilliant leaders I've ever spent time with. He said, now that sets the stage for asking question two And when I ask it, I actually get an honest answer because they don't feel like they're confessing we're a bunch of losers. It's like in spite of all the wins, in spite of all the victories, yeah, we've had some losses. We've made some errors. And then he said, I asked, where are you stuck and what needs to change? And he said, Bob, they actually end up solving their own issue. (laughs) But at the end of the day, they write me that big check and call me a great consultant. Well, those four questions will work anywhere. Uh, you don't have to be They'll work with your team. And and again, as I begin to apply this and think through it, I realized there were so many times as a leader, even if I was using questions, it's like, here's a problem we got to solve. And so I'm immediately into, you know, why is this not working? Not realizing that slower would be faster in other words starting with the team hey where are we seeing victories where are we seeing wins and letting the team celebrate before we jump into the issue and and on these four questions I was on a podcast with Tom Ziegler uh, who has taken over for his father Zig Ziegler who passed a number of years ago and I was sharing these four and Tom said well Bob he said, I'm a bit of a brain science nerd. I study brain science. Can I tell you why that first question is so good? And I said, Tom, it's your podcast. You can share anything you want. He said, well, when the brain is processing positive thoughts, positive endorphins are firing. He said, that is the perfect place in which to actually solve problems then. And he said the leader who starts with what's going well and elevates their team to think the boss thinks we're great actually is going to have way more energy by that team to solve the issue before them.
1: Yeah, because if you start with what's wrong, everybody goes to a defensive protective space. I got to, you know, I'm not that bad. It's not that terrible. (laughs) Why are you hounding us? Um, you know, we made those decisions for all the right reasons and we rehashed that mess and that's all we're thinking about. We can't even begin to admit that, yeah, that wasn't a good decision and I should have seen better or whatever, or we need to learn from it. But the positive always gets people moving constructively and out of that defensive space. So Absolutely. I'm a,
2: yes. total yes. fan.
1: So yes. what's going well or versions of that and followed with and what else and how did you figure out that and how does that work so you're reinforcing it then what's not going well and then where are you stuck and what needs to change love it all right bob before we take a break what's the fourth favorite question
2: well again it's a series and um and there's a story on this one. Uh, Navy commander Michael D. Abershoff, when he took over the command of the USS Benfold, one of the U.S.'s most modern warships, morale on that ship of some, I think, 300 vessels in the U.S. Navy was the absolute lowest of all. 18 months later, under his command, morale retested it was the highest of all ships in the U.S. Navy. Well the first thing he did upon taking command is he had 300 one-on-one interviews with 300 sailors on that ship he, each one of the interviews about 15 minutes and he asked these three questions what do you like best about this ship what do you like least what would you change if you could and and he obviously listened and and uh you know at the end of the first day he probably only had met with 10-15 sailors he had a whole bunch more of these 15-minute interviews to go but immediately there was a buzz on the ship the new captain's different he actually (laughs) wants to know what we think yeah and it didn't take long Wanda and he's thinking to himself what 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 do you mean we're not doing that we're going to fix that but guess who he gave credit to for the ideas when he announced changes
1: to the sailors
2: to the sailors well these three questions again are so simple asking your team get, getting with your team maybe you don't have 300 they report to you maybe you have five <laughs> but asking hey what do you like best about our team what do you like least what would you change if you could and then listen and and uh again captain Abershoff did not promise to make every change that was suggested but it didn't take long and he was hearing ideas and thinking well that does need to be changed we can do that and and then the wisdom of giving credit is really uh, imagine being a sailor on your first cruise (laughs) yeah right the captain names you and says thank you we're going to make the change you suggested right great
1: that's fabulous one of my favorite ceos um says you know when you're trying to make change, you don't always know what you need to do. And he said, ask people. They have a funny way of telling you what's going wrong <laughs> and what needs to fix. You know. And I say to people, when you're taking over a brand new role, you know, they're always saying, what do I do in the first, they say, 90 days? I say, 30 to 45 days. I say, this is the same questions. Ask your stakeholders this. Ask your peers this. What do you like about what my team is doing? What do you not like about what my team is doing? What do you wish my team would do differently if we could? And then you've got a reason to come back around in two months and say, here's what I've heard from everybody. Here's our number two priorities. Or, you know, it's such it's so simple as a place to start and you get quick wins.
2: Absolutely. Okay. love it.
1: All right. So, Bob, clearly I've been to school on the Bob Tede and Michael Marquardt School of Business on Asking Questions. Now, if I can only employ it a little bit better, I think I'd be in really good shape. Bob, this is a perfect place to take a break. My guest today is Bob TD, the book that we're talking about, Leading with Questions, co-authored with Michael Marquardt. And four favorite questions, just to repeat, so everybody has these. What do you think about, we fill in the blank, followed by what else? Take notes, and what else, and what else. It's about the third or fourth what else question that gets you to the heart of what somebody's really thinking. Number two, when you're asked a question, follow it with a retort question. Can you please tell me more? And listen, because then you figure out what it was people really wanted to know. Number three, a series. What's going well, what's not going well, where are we stuck, and what needs to change? Subsequent questions underneath each of those to kind of help people flesh out the detail and when you're talking to a new team or in a new role what do you like best about what we do what do you like least about what we do what would you change if you could great set of questions bob thank you and we'll be right back to talk about the power of might group and talk about career advancement and we have a master's level for people who want to take a deeper dive all on out of the comfort zone.com. we hope you'll join
0: us when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you are listening to out of the comfort zone to reach dr wanda wallace or her guest call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadership-forum.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone.
1: Welcome back. With me today is Bob TD, the book we're talking about, one of my all-time favorites, Leading with Questions. All right, Bob, we just got your four favorite questions, and I teased before the break that I want to talk about the power of might. And this is a really interesting story you have in chapter four. So tell us about this, and why does that improve the answers that you get?
2: Well, when we think of the power of might, you might be thinking of physical power. You know, he is mighty. Yeah. And uh, well, there is power, but uh, it's it's not going to be the way most of us think about it. It's the use of the word might in asking a question. And so I, I say, what's the difference between these two questions? If you're asked, Wanda, what should we do about this? Or if you're asked, Wanda, what might we do about this? The uh, what should we do? Can feel like there's only one right answer, mm. and I'm not certain what that one right answer is, so I better not say anything. Mm-hmm. But the leader who says, "Wanda, what what might we do about this?" Mm. is inviting input. But it it's it's not like hey, this is the absolute. I have to know that I'm giving the absolute right answer on what we should do. It's a little more inviting a brainstorm. Right. And uh, and so the power of might is instead of, hey, what should we do about this? Is asking the team or others, what might we do about this? Mm-hmm. It just is more inviting. So the power of might is that it's more inviting of the response because there's less pressure on the one you're asking to feel like I gotta have the right answer.
0: That's right,
1: because when you say should, it implies that you've thought through what the possibilities are, you've thought through the pros and cons of those possibilities, you've come to a conclusion about what is ideal in each of those options, and you just give the conclusion. Whereas most of us talking to a senior leader don't haven't done all that work for one. And two, we don't know where the senior leader is thinking about all of their different contingencies. So it's hard to answer the what should at the very beginning. Maybe at the end of a long conversation, we could. But at the very beginning, what might? I can see how that opens up possibilities. All right. I want to shift for us a great, great tip. I want to shift to talk about what we get wrong in questions. And there are two particular places I want to go. One is uh, this notion about listening. And the second one is this notion about drilling. So listening, what is it that we get wrong in asking questions and in listening?
2: Well, Wanda, some very interesting research reveals that the average person when they ask a question only waits two or three seconds for an answer. And again, this isn't a conscious thing. It's just the way we're wired. And so we ask the question. And if the other person doesn't answer in two or three seconds, that silence so bothers us that we have to start filling the air with words again. So we either ask the question again, ask another question, answer the question ourselves, or just move on in the conversation with no self-awareness of what we've just done. And so one of the things I share when I was speaking is who here would like to learn to become a better listener in eight seconds? Mm-hmm. Well, the solution is ask your question and count silently to yourself. 1,001, 1,002, 1,003, Wanda. 1, there's times I've gotten to 1,030. The longer the silence, the better the answer. You just become self-aware of, okay, in the future, and then, and Wanda, some of our listeners today are going to hate me for the eight-second rule because they're going to find themselves today, later, tomorrow, this week, ask a question. And again, they fill the space in two or three seconds. I've got good news for them. This still happens to me occasionally. But when I become aware, oh, there I did it again. I call it time out. My bad. I asked you a question. I didn't even give you time to think, and I started talking again. Let me share again the question. Here it is. This time I'm going to be silent. You take all the time you need, and uh, and people are so forgiving. It, it works. Does work. But, you know, Wanda. If if I was in your office and I said, hey, "Which way to the men's room?" You're going to answer almost instantly. But if I said, "Wanda, what would you say has been one of your greatest failures that's led to one of your greatest successes?" if you've never been asked that question before how likely are you going to be able to speak starting at two or three seconds not not (laughs) but if i'll give you space time i'm likely to be the beneficiary of a great piece of wisdom a great story but i've got to give you silence to get there and and so silence is it it's it's respectful of them. It it values that you're allowing them to think, and and the result is uh, you're going to be viewed as a great listener just yeah. because you were silent,
1: <laughs> <laughs> and a great leader, and a great coach, and a great um, motivator. I know in this modern world, Gloria Marks will say our attention span is cut in half in the last decade. I think her data is pretty clear on that one and i know we're all beginning to think we're adhd and some of my clients you know two seconds is already too long for them to wait for an answer (laughs) but you got to think that you didn't just ask the question just to say the question you asked the question because there was an insight you wanted to gain and if it was obvious somebody's probably already thought about it so the question is probably already said it it's probably not that insightful So the notion that you have to let people process it is what's going to give you the real answer that will be a game changer for what you're trying to accomplish. And that, I think, we just don't appreciate how much that is. You have a great story about a governor and wanting to get um, the staff to speak more. You want to tell us that story?
2: I do. I do. It's, It's not a political story. Now, my home state is South Dakota. And I'm a farm boy from South Dakota. Well, the current governor of South Dakota is Kristi Noem. She was a farm girl in South Dakota. And uh, she wrote a book recently called Not My First Rodeo. Well, in there, she shares this fascinating story. Uh, The legislative session was in session, and every morning she would meet with her staff. And what she wanted was, here's the new bills being introduced. What do you all think? And she wanted them to debate it back and forth so she could get a real handle on, on that issue. But uh, they've been meeting for about three weeks and she's walking back to her office from the meeting and she's frustrated and sharing with her chief of staff, why won't they talk? Every day I ask them and I get nothing. And he says, Governor, why don't you try being quiet? What, what do you mean? He said, well, we share about a new bill, and you immediately give your opinion, and no one wants to argue with the governor. <laughs> so he said, tomorrow, when we announce, you know, here's, here's the bill, why don't you just be quiet and, and let them start discussion? And she said, the next day, I did, and it worked. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, wow, what, what a great example. Again, for all leaders, you don't have to be governor. But uh, you want to know what your staff think, lay it out and be quiet. Let them begin to interact because no one wants to argue with the governor. Well, no one wants to argue with the boss either. That's
1: right. right. Isn't a career limiting move in most places? All right. Okay. I want to turn. I love that story. I can't tell you how powerful it is. Um, And I'm going to piggyback on the back of it. You know, One of the things that I care deeply about is we all learn to do debate. That we learn to deal with difficult conversations. I think it's what makes a team into become from a good team to a powerful, strong dream team. And most leaders want it, but they don't do very much for about it. So recently, I was working with a team. We formed a question. And I created a process where every person gets to speak in order for a limited amount of time so that there's no grandstanding, everybody has their turn, there's no questions about it. And they thought this was a controversial question. It turned out that there was a 100% agreement among 25 people about what to do on a particular problem. 100% agreement, but they didn't know it because they didn't stop to let everyone speak. How amazing is that? Problem solved. Overnight. Done. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Power of listening. All right. I want to talk about a second problem that I see in questions um, routinely, because I often come in to work with leaders who are deep experts, who were trying to learn to step out of having all the right answers, sort of lead in a different way. And one of their habits is they have such depth of knowledge. They tend to ask a very detailed questions that drill Drill, 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 drill. Now, if you happen to be able to match their expertise in those conversations, usually no problem. But most people come away from that feeling um, intimidated. Um, They cave or they get really upset or get defensive. And how do we keep from asking questions that leave people feeling like they've been in an interrogation?
2: That's a a fabulous question, Wanda. Let me fall back on one of my favorite questions. Can you please say more about that?
1: All right. Well, let me give you an example. Would that be helpful? Please. All right. So CFO that I was working with, deep expert, very smart, very good guy in so many ways. But he had a reputation, let's say his name is Bob, When you went to a meeting with him and people come out with that ashen face and people would say, oh, you've been bobbed, Mm -hmm. meaning he asked pointed question. And if you didn't have the answer to that pointed question, he'd follow it with another pointed question and another question and another question and another question. When it was clear from the beginning, perhaps hadn't thought about it, perhaps hadn't done your homework, perhaps didn't know as well as you needed to know. But the questions had such a sharp edge to them so what i want to know is how do we stay out of that territory if you've got any advice
2: on it well i do i think there's 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 kind of two things here one is how do you deal with a bob yeah (laughs) like that if you're the staff member and then second would be uh how you avoid being that bob right
1: okay i'll take Um, both of those
2: yes um I think on the first, how do you deal with a Bob like that? Is uh, you listen, and again, Wanda, this this is from the top of my head. So Great. This, cool. this might be this might be a way versus this is the way. Okay, <laughs> this might be a way is uh, just saying, wow, you know, Bob, you obviously have such expertise here. I need to learn from you. How? how would you answer that question
1: Ah.
2: and and turn it around and and generally speaking an expert likes to share their expertise (laughs) so again i'm not trying to manipulate the man but wow you obviously you've thought you've studied at such detail i need to learn from you how would you answer that question and what what would you what would be my response that you were hoping for what would you like to see me do Mm -hmm. here Uh, because i certainly want to do what you my boss wants me to do here Mm -hmm. Um, great i would tend to go those directions uh That's no. a,
1: I think that's a really insightful. I want to come back to how Bob can avoid be might avoid this trip. Yes, But, you know, there are variations on that question of how would you answer that question? I could also say to this hypothetical, Bob, OK, Bob, what sorts of information are you looking for that would let you answer that question? is getting it to onto um, a space where you might still have something that you can offer, or you, you could then say, I don't have access to that information. Can we talk about it later? Is another angle to go, but all variations on turning the question back to him. What a great idea. Okay. So if it's Bob, what might your advice be to Bob?
2: Um, You know, I was thinking as, as you did that, I was thinking of the, um, uh, there's a naval commander uh david marquette, marquette and uh one of the things that he I learned from him is he had a blog post that said let them say yes and uh and he contrasted it with um you know if you ask a question like you go to your people and say have you completed the project hmm. uh Their answer may be, if they haven't completed it, well, well, no, but we're almost done. Well, no, no, we haven't quite got there yet. But in other words, he said, ask the question that allows them to say yes. And so instead of, have you completed the project, have you made progress on the project? Yes, and we're almost done. Mm -hmm. But he's looking to word questions that allows his staff to respond positively versus questions that you know back them into a corner right where where the truthful answer is yeah we didn't get it done i.e. the boss now thinks i'm a loser
1: yeah i haven't Danger. had time to think about it but i'm not going to tell the boss so i'll yeah. say yes and then i'm stuck
2: yeah right and and so questions that allow a positive response uh, or, or again, rather than the one word, uh, tell me about the progress you've made on this project. Right. And so off they tell you is an example. Uh, you know, going another direction, um, I have a rule that I don't ask people the why question. I don't say, Wanda, why did you do that? Wanda, why did you make that decision? I find that using the word why immediately creates a defensiveness. Now, Wanda, you're so much smarter than me, you may understand why this next approach is better. I don't understand exactly why, I just know it is. Okay. And that is instead of asking why, I ask how or what. Wanda, how did you come to that decision? what caused you to make that decision? For whatever reason, asking how did you make that decision, what caused you to make that decision, doesn't create the same defensiveness as Wanda, why did you make that decision? Now, like I say, I don't quite know why, how, and what work better, but they do. (laughs) And so, I've replaced why with how did you come to that decision? What, what caused you to, to make that decision or to do that? Or, but in other words, instead of the why, it's asking how or what.
1: When you say why, I have no idea, Bob, so I'm going to speculate here. <laughs> but when you say why did you do, I'm thinking, uh-oh, I missed something. So I'm in the negative space. And then I'm in the defensive space, which means I'm not thinking. Okay, Even if your question wasn't intended as a negative one. But if you say, "How did you come to that conclusion?" or "What caused you to make that choice?", then I'm opened. I'm much more open to saying my thinking process.
2: Yes, yes, Which
1: I think is what you're getting to. And I can imagine with the CFO that I just described, that had he not asked why, why is that the case? People would have been less defensive. And he would say, well, how do we get to these numbers? They would get a little bit better of a response. Simple change. Wow, that's a pretty powerful one, though.
2: Wanda, an exception to that is I can ask Wanda, why did you think so-and-so did that?
1: Okay. In other words,
2: about a coworker, someone else, you can ask Wanda, why do you think they did that? Wanda doesn't feel any defensiveness right. to get, answer that but don't ask wanda or the person you're talking why did they do that ask what or how
1: okay great i love it bob such incredible wisdom all right now i have to ask you a question what takes you out of your comfort zone
2: wanda i wish i could say this still never happens it just happens less but, what takes me out of my comfort zone is is when I'm meeting a new person and you're in the conversation and you realize you're trying to impress. Mm-hmm. You're trying to be interesting instead of interested. And what removes me from that is when I, okay, this is not a competition. In fact, perhaps they're smarter than I am, perhaps they're more successful than I am, perhaps in every way they're better than I am. I don't wanna get into that competition. Instead, going down the path of becoming interested rather than trying to be interesting removes me from that to say, hey, Wanda, tell me your story. Yeah. Wanda, what would you say are the three to four events that have most shaped your life? And just focusing on that I find that almost always those conversations end with with just a nice feeling that we've established a relationship. And uh, when I've been in the competitive mode of trying to be, here's, here's how fabulous I am, even if I think I've convinced them, they probably are walking away thinking, what a bunch of hot air. <laughs>
1: Or you've missed an opportunity to deepen a relationship that could have been much stronger. What a great story, Bob. All right. As always, Bob, great questions. I love this last tip about when I'm asking an individual, don't ask that person why. Ask that person how or what. But I can ask why when I'm talking about somebody else. The whole notion is to keep people out of the defensive and into the positive. You're going to get better answers, better insight, and all the other good stuff you're looking for as um, a leader. Can't recommend the book enough. Leading with Questions, Michael Marcourt and Bob T.D. And also check out Bob's blog at leadingwithquestions.com. Join us next week for another episode
0: in getting out of your comfort zone. Thank you for joining us today.